Let us pray. God, we thank you for this day, this opportunity to freely gather here and worship you, for the way in which your spirit, the Holy Spirit, desires to speak into our hearts and minds and lives. Open us, Lord, to that which you have for us this day and each day. May my words be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. We continue our journey here through the Sermon on the Mount from the Gospel readings from the lectionary. Again, as you've heard me said, this is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's Jesus' big sermon, although Jesus taught much and taught a lot through healings and experiences. This is kind of the big example of the message that he offers. It's a complicated message. It's a difficult message. It is a challenging message. It's one that only Christ himself fulfilled, yet it's a call to us. It's a call to us to seek this out to the best of our abilities in our own lives, with one another, and with the world. It gives us an image of what the kingdom of God will look like when God, whether we meet Jesus in heaven or at his return, when Jesus brings all things to fruition, it's an image of the kingdom. It's not the usual logic at all. And as you heard me say, it's kind of opposite of the usual logic. But to be honest with you, the logic of this world often fails us, if we're honest. The ways and the message of the world and of society and culture, whether we agree with them or not, they do have an end that they come to that seem to fail us. This first part of the passage uh, here, Matthew, if you look in your insert, Matthew uh, 5, 38 and 39, talks about um, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and, and if somebody gives, you know, slaps you on one cheek, give them the other one. Now, when I was in high school, I went through kind of a literal fundamentalist phase in my own faith, you know, taking scripture literally. So one time I remember well, these are things you don't forget, I was in the hallway and supposedly I made some sort of snotty, sarcastic comment to someone. I can't imagine how that was possible. Why are you laughing? And so they you know, they punched me in the cheek, you know, punched me in the face. And so I thought instantly, I thought, oh, you can be really Christian here and a little more sarcastic still. And so I said, well, here, you know, have the other one too. Well, they took me up on my offer. <laughs> I didn't end up more spiritual, just sore. It's funny because so much of this, I hope that God never calls me to a literal understanding of those verses. So many times, though, these passages call us to do things that are strange, that, that don't make sense. And we have to figure that out because Jesus is saying something important to us. It would be easy and convenient to ignore these passages, to look at them and say, you know, well, that's just kind of hyperbole, and Jesus is setting this bar I can't meet, so I'm not going to even try anyway. But there's something here that really matters. There's something here of significance. You see, we have a strong sense for justice and fairness, don't we? In our own lives and what we think that is and in society. And we maybe perhaps sometimes have this idea of vengeance and retaliation. And Jesus turns that upside down in the first two verses and says, well, if somebody hits you, give them the other cheek. Not exactly what we expect out of Jesus. 
But here's the interesting thing about this. You see, we need to understand that justice, that vengeance doesn't belong to us. It's not our duty. These are things that we are to trust God with. It's interesting how we will tell our kids and grandkids that life is not fair. How many of you have ever uttered that phrase in your life, right? Maybe some of you today to a spouse. Yet, when life is unfair to us or someone is unfair to us, we have a different response. We don't say, oh, well, life's just not fair, I guess. We have just this tension with us, this desire for, for justice, for something to happen. This, these opening verses remind us that we are to trust God with those things, that we are not to take vengeance in our own hands, that we are to be reminded that God has given us grace, and we are called to give grace to others. We love getting justice, but we don't always love getting it. And what Jesus is saying here is almost essentially the opposite. He's calling us in some ways to a sense of vulnerability. That's a word that we don't like in our culture. And we can't perfect that. Only Jesus perfected that. And we see that as we come into this Lenten journey, as we journey and reflect on Jesus' last days and the cross and his suffering. Jesus embraced this vulnerability in a way that I, that each of us never will be able to. Yet, we're called to seek that vulnerability, to seek to trust God with these things amazing because, again, I don't think that that's often our posture. But it goes on, verse 40 through 42, and it talks about this notion of lawsuit, and, and it ends with this passage, give to the one who has, you know, this, it talks about someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. I'll tell you, this is one of my favorite passages in the scripture, particularly this verse, if someone asks you to go one mile, go with them two, verse 41, that we're called to serve beyond what is expected, to serve beyond what is normal, to serve what is beyond what is convenient, to serve beyond what benefits us. And certainly we have this great model in Jesus Christ who went the extra mile for us, embraced suffering for us, gave of his own life for us. That we're not just called to do our Christian duty, but to go beyond that which is expected. Not just to put up with our neighbor, but to bless our neighbor. It's amazing because I don't think this is our posture. We don't go beyond the expected oftentimes unless we really like that person or maybe if, if we're honest, if we assume some benefit for ourselves. But this is the call of Jesus Christ, to go beyond that which is expected. And again, oftentimes we don't do that outside our own circles, those that we know and love or like or trust, or maybe those that we're networking with, those that we can gain some sort of benefit from down the road. But Jesus calls us to this posture of service. Not about our own motivation, 
not about what we get, but a posture of service. I'll be honest, if anything in this Sermon on the Mount I don't like literally, it's that one. If someone asks you to go one mile, go two. I don't even want to go one mile. But what Jesus is saying here is not about a jog, thank God. What he's talking about is going above and beyond to serve others. And again, not just those that you know and that you like. Then we get to verses 43 through 48. This passage about loving your enemies. That's hard. Sure, you know, maybe I should love Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. And, you know, maybe I really should love Ohio State and, you know, Duke and these other... I'm not talking about that. That's not what this passage is talking about. This passage goes much deeper than that. And if we're honest, there are those people that we know and maybe we don't know who they are. That we have a hard time loving. Maybe it's because they hurt us. Maybe it's because we don't like the sense of non-justice or non-fairness they've gotten. Maybe it's because we don't like how they've treated others, specifically perhaps someone that we love. Yet, Jesus calls us to love our enemies. And I'll be honest with you, there are some times where I do this really well, and there are some times where I don't feel like I even try. But, in all transparent, hypocritical honesty, I know and I've experienced that every single time I've chosen to embrace this, to love those that were my enemies, amazing things happened. Suddenly they weren't my enemies. Over time they became children of God. In fact, some of them are my friends that some of my greatest relationships come out of some of those conflicts, those choices to love those who I see as enemies, whether literally or just somebody I really don't like. And that's what I tell myself. Oh, they're just annoying. Oh, we just have a personality clash. But really, in my heart, I think there's an enemy posture there. But I'm telling you, when I do that, miraculous things happen. God changes me. So often with forgiveness, it's really not about the person that we're forgiving. They, they maybe don't even know, don't care, don't need it. It's about us and our heart. This passage is not about justice or fairness or our enemies. It's about our heart. That God is aware of our heart and what our heart needs. And what comes with having these feelings towards others is not what is good for our heart. It's not what helps us experience the love and grace of the God of the universe. What if we really live this way? What if we live this way in our homes, in our churches, and in the world? You see, this isn't just going to happen magically. Nor can we just ignore this passage and say, well, only Jesus did that, so when heaven comes or I go to heaven, then we're good. This is about the kingdom and our role until Jesus returns or we return to Jesus is to help bring about this kingdom. And so we've got to model it. How differently would the world look if we sought to love our enemies instead of hate them, instead of ignore them, instead of defeat them? Heck, what would the government look like if we sought to love our enemies? 
What would so many of the things in the world, all the tensions and the, the war and the angst, what would things begin to look like if all people who believed in Jesus really sought to live this out? I don't think it's just a pie-in-the-sky idea. It doesn't mean that we have to embrace people's attitudes and behavior. It doesn't mean that we have to agree with one another. God, help us the day that we do that because we lose our edge. But we've got to let go of fairness and justice and revenge. We've got to let go of the anger and the angst and the hatred and embrace love to pray for our enemies. And not like this, God, I pray that you give so-and-so just what they deserve. <laughs> if you're willing to pray that for someone, be ready to pray that for yourself, right? Because the point of the passage is, it's, we love accepting God's grace for us. Maybe we're sometimes a little resistant. Maybe that Lutheran guilt creeps in. But embracing God's grace for others, giving God's grace to others, well, that's a whole different story. Think about it. And, and, and to pray for those that we don't like, those that were frustrated. It's amazing that in this way, anyone can become a non-enemy. Anyone can become lovable and likable. It's in this way when we take this entirely different posture that the church and the world begin to change. My mother is 350% German, roughly. And one of the things that runs in the DNA of her family, and I can say this because I make fun of her for it all the time, uh, is this issue of revenge and justice. And so the other day, Micah got in trouble at school for saying a naughty word that he must have learned from Jessica. And, uh, <laughs> and um, I'm probably going to pay for that. Um, <laughs> And interestingly enough, I call my mom to tell these stories because I feel like I, it's my way of apologizing to my mom over and over again for my childhood. And so I don't even finish the story and she starts laughing. But I was telling in Bible study, she's like, well, that kid's kind of a mean bully, isn't he? Because she talks to Mike. And I'm like, yeah, I don't like that kid. This is grandma, you know, talking, right? And I said, oh, you know, part of it's just kids and figuring things out, and, you know, and... And she said, well, I remember this one kid who was mean to you, and you always used to tell me he would scare you on your bike and chase you and push you off your bike. She, she remembered his name. I don't remember this ever happening, right? She remembers his name. She recounted to me this story of the time that she waited in the bushes one day after school. This is my mother. I don't remember any of this, all right? And when he came to run across the street to hassle me, she jumped out and scared him. I mean, you get arrested for this kind of stuff now. <laughs> and I go, Mom, this, I, don't, I think it's a little, a little scary that you actually remember this stuff. So oftentimes, and in her fun German revenge, don't forget these kind of things kind of way, so oftentimes we hold on to this stuff. But I guarantee you it doesn't eat the other person like it eats us. Half the time, 90% of the people that are our enemies in whatever way we look at it don't even know that they're our enemies. It's our heart. That this is what God is saying to us. I want to read this passage to you from the message. Uh, I read this sometimes it kind of as a supplement. And when we were in Bible study, Vicki said, Have you read that? And I said, No, nah, not recently. And uh, I'm, glad that she, I'm glad that she did because... 
This is uh, really phenomenal. So I just invite you to, to simply hear these words. Here's another old saying that deserves a second look. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Is that going to get us anywhere? Here's what I propose. Don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, stand there and take it. If someone drags you into court and sues for the shirt off your back, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. And if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend, and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer, for then you are working out your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish, to everyone, regardless, the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up, your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others, the way God lives towards you. Again, it's so easy to love, to forgive, to accept, to embrace those that are like us, those that we agree with, those that are kind to us, those that we feel like we might need someday or can get something out of. But it's the others, the strangers, the enemies, the obnoxious people. Those are the ones that not only are we called to love for and pray for, but those are the ones that can make us more like Christ. You see, the kingdom message is different. It's different than the message of the world. Rather than revenge and justice, it's about service and care. We're called to that extra mile, to offer that extra cheek, to a different kind of life, a more meaningful life, a life that embraces Christ's and Christ's kingdom, where we love all those because Christ has loved us. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word, for the way in which you challenge us. God, for this message, although impossible to keep with perfection, important for our own spiritual health, for the sake of our church and the world. God, help us to be people of your kingdom, not seeking vengeance and justice and fairness, but embracing grace. Not just doing the bare minimum and only for those that we like or can benefit from, but to go the extra mile for all people, especially those in need. And Lord, help us to love the hard to love, the unlovable, the enemies, the frustrating, because God, we are that person to others. And without your grace and your love for us, we too are that to you as well. Thank you for your grace and mercy. God, help us to be a people in a church of your love, 
of your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand.